0: The text for the sermon is taken from the epistle. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Well, since Trinity 4, which is a long time ago, 14 weeks we have been following in the epistles all the epistles of Saint Paul. We started with his letter to Rome, then we moved to Corinth, then we moved over to Galatia, and then we ended up in Ephesus for a while. Today, we're going back to Corinth again, in particular his first letter to Corinth. And if you've never been to Corinth, the ancient city was a port city and there is a long uh, kind of walkway out to the port that led into the center of town, which was built, uh, as many towns back then, around a forum or a, a marketplace where there are warehouses for all the store goods, uh, and there was lively activity in this city. But behind the city of Corinth, if you can imagine this, right, it's all flat land all around, there arises uh, this abrupt mountain if you can put in your mind's eye, uh, Devil's Tower from Wyoming, if you've ever seen that, it's kind of what it looks like. And they also, the Christians in Corinth, considered it to be a Devil's Tower because right on top of this mountain uh, stood a pagan temple, a pagan temple that not only sacrificed animals, but also sacrificed young women in a prostitution cult at this temple. Uh, Corinth was a dark place, It was an evil place. It was full of paganism, uh, dissension, immorality. And here is where we are today. This is where Paul is writing to this small parish in Corinth. And we've been uh, getting a sense of Paul's uh, care and love for these churches throughout uh, Trinity Tide. And we've also been getting a sense of his teaching style which is a mixture of rapturous meditations on Christ and Christ's transformative power, then mixed with Paul's urgent imperatives to live out a life that reflects Christ's life. But here he is writing to Corinth, a very dark place. So how do you live out a life that reflects Christ's life in a town that is full of darkness? Well, we still find Paul urging this small parish to focus on Christ in order to live a life pleasing to God. This is his constant emphasis. It's how to live out a Christian vocation. How to live out our calling as little Christ as Christians. And it's not easy. You notice he had to write two letters to Corinth, right? <laughs> because they failed they miserably failed. It seems almost too high a calling for us to be little Christ. So, how do we live it out? Is it even possible? Well, let's take a look at what Paul tells this small parish. He starts off with our reading today saying, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. So how do we live this out? How do we live out this Christian life? Well, first, Paul acknowledges it's a gift. The ability to live out your life as a Christian is a pure gift of God. Paul mentions this all over the place in his epistles. But there's one kind of neat explanation that I like when he's writing to Timothy. And he says, God has called us with a holy calling. That's our vocation, right? He's called us to a vocation. It's a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's the gospel of Christ's death for you. That's the gospel of Christ's resurrection for you. And that's the gospel that you have been baptized into Jesus Christ. And in fact, this gift, this gift of the gospel, is not just a one time thing. As if we're baptized in the church, then we're kind of ushered in, the lights turn off, and you've got to kind of wander around to find your place. No. And Paul continues in the epistle that in everything you are enriched by him. Everything. In all utterance and in all knowledge, even as a testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Uh, in Greek, this, this phrase, in all utterance, that's the word that Paul's using there as Greek, is actually logos. You know, that's the word that Paul's using for in the beginning was the word, the logos. Now, uh, Paul here is using this much more in a classical koine sense, He's referring to all of our speech, all of our thinking, and then also in all knowledge. So God is going to enrich us in our thoughts, in our knowledge. And as we know, when we compare humans versus angels, we know that human knowledge, it's a process. We're not just gifted the knowledge of everything, right? It's a process for us. And so therefore this is not a one-time thing, but a continual process in which you are enriched by God. And this continual giving of gifts by God, this shows his desire for you. He wants to give to you. He wants to bring you deeper and deeper into the love of Christ. Paul continues. The purpose of this is that so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the, The day that Paul's referring to, the end, is the final day in which we will all join our Lord in his resurrection and then also enjoy his eternal life. That's the glorious kingdom of God. But that's the kingdom of God that is also broken into this world, which is given to us as a gift, heals our sickness, gives us full humanity, and even more than that, grants us eternal life in the end. But just by saying uh, that the Christian life is by grace of God, that doesn't mean it's easy from our point of view. It assures us of God's love. It assures us of his purpose for us. But we have to cooperate with that grace. We have to cooperate with that gift. We have to take that gift and then attentively, reasonably, responsibly respond to that gift in our lives. And to do that, We have to give up of ourselves. We have to focus on something else. We have to give up our demands, our wishes, and desires in order to be that which God desires us to be. But in our modern culture, how hard is it to even think about what you wish? How much time do you give to your own interior life? Or, how much time do we just kind of move from one fleeting screen to another fleeting screen and we're just given things the whole time? We don't even have to think about our interior life. But we must think about what do we desire? What do we wish? So that then we can adapt those, change those, develop those into what God wishes us to be. So, what does that look like then? Let's turn in the gospel. And the gospel picks up in Matthew, very late in Matthew. This is chapter 22, and things are getting really tense in chapter 22. Uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are attacking Jesus, and they're asking him these questions, which he's responding to. Uh, the first one of these was the question of the coin: like, who who do you tax? Who do you give to? You know, Caesar is on this face. Do we give to God? The second question was about. Uh, that woman, the fictional woman who's married to one brother, he dies, and so the next brother marries her, and the next brother, does she have seven husbands in heaven? Jesus answers that. And now the Pharisees come, and now the Pharisees are asking this question, well, how do you follow the law? How do you live out the law? And Jesus is summary. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This summary was not novel. Uh, We find it quoted in the other Gospels by other people, right? By other Jews. And in fact, we find similar sayings in rabbinic literature at this same time. Christ's point is that the living out of the law is a life of love. Of loving God and of loving one's neighbor. You see that St. Paul or St. John or St. Peter in their epistles, they didn't make up this thing about love. (laughs) This is coming from Jesus. It's his command, it's his own life that we should live a life of love towards God and man. And in the phrase, Jesus is using these three modifiers with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. That means with all of your being all that you have, and all that you are. And then our love for neighbor is to be equivalent to your own self-love. The rich, the poor, the hungry, the blind, the other person, whoever they may be, is a person Jesus loves, whom Jesus died for, who we have to remind ourselves that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Father Glenn said last week, the themes of humility and generosity are at the very heart of the life of Christ. And he taught his disciples that they should follow his example. There's no humility more profound than the humility of the Son of the Father made flesh. You can't outdo that humility. But you are called to incarnate the life of Christ in your humility And in your generosity and liberality, you've been made the child of God by the grace of baptism. You participate in his divine life. And then he calls you to be rich towards God. Jesus's life, then, is the the prime example of how to live out our vocation in our daily life. His was lived out perfect, in perfect love to God and to neighbor For in his life, divinity itself was joined perfectly with humanity. In his life, it's a life of humble, sacrificial love in obedience to his Father. It was complete and perfect, and it continues to be lived out, not only in his own flesh, where he is sitting at the right hand of the Father and then also in his sacramental life in which he gives himself over to us in the sacraments. But Christ's life is also lived out in each and every one of you. You are living out Christ's life. You are living out the incarnate life of Christ in your life. It's a high calling. Today is the feast day of St. Therese of Lisieux. St. Therese was a young woman who died at the age of 24 as a nun in, in the 1890s. To us, that would be very insignificant. A short life dedicated to the church. But today, we're celebrating her life. And one particular reason that we celebrate St. Therese that she had kind of an uncanny way of describing and telling how to give your life up in love to God and to neighbor. Often, uh, thing, uh, she, people refer to St. Therese's little way, the little way of, uh, of St. Therese. This is what she says. I can prove my love only by scattering flowers. That is to say, by never never letting slip a single little sacrifice, a single glance, a single word. By making profit of the very smallest actions, by doing them for love. Saint Therese, when she looked at her life, she didn't consider herself to be a saint when she was living. She looked at the great saints of St. Augustine or or St. Thomas. She said, I'm never going to become great like that. But I can be great in all of my little things. Let me read another quote. In rich homes, there are elevators to replace stairs to great advantage. I would also like to find an elevator to lift me up to Jesus. Because I'm too little to climb the rough staircase of perfection. The elevator that must lift me up to heaven is your arms, Jesus. And for that, I don't need to become big. On the contrary, I have to stay little. May I become little, more and more. Isn't that a great description of the ways in which we can give our lives over to God? You might be really young, You might be four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, or a teenager, and you think, I can't really give my life over yet to God. What about giving your life over, though, in little ways, in how you respond to a brother or a sister who's mean to you, how you respond to your parents who ask you to do something? Can you give that to God in a little way? Can you sacrifice that in a little way? St. Therese tells a funny little story. Uh, about when a new new nun came to the convent. And this nun, during the prayers of the Psalms, always had a habit of grinding her teeth. And you know that sound, right? And it grinds on your own attentiveness. And it ground on St. Therese's mind. And she, in an instant, thought, oh, I'm just going to nudge her and tell her to stop. And then she thought, wait a second. Could this be a little way for me to sacrifice something that is irritating and offer that to God. And so instead of ignoring it or nudging, she paid extra attentiveness to the sound that was annoying her. She focused in on it until it became, in her words, a concert of music in her mind. Do you see how little that is? It's nothing. It's a moment. But St. Therese is able to give that little moment up to God, to sacrifice it. What if our moments became little ways in which we can offer our lives to God? By giving up our righteous judgments or our thoughts and instead loving the person in front of you, loving them as they are, This is a tough time. And this is a time when tensions are running high. Even in our own parish, when we're coming back together, realize, wait, I don't agree with that person. Wait a second. They have different political views than I do. I thought we all went to all saints. I thought we were all X, right? The tensions can rise now over a fact of science. Tensions can rise over anything. And they are rising high. And so for us, this gives us an opportunity to how to live these little ways of instead fighting or instead of looking for the injustice, to look for the way to love those in front of you. And if we can do that as a parish, then that love will overflow and that love will pour into this area that needs so much love. And it's on every side. It's looking for your own little way to love and to give yourself over for the person in front of you. It's difficult. But knowing that difficulty, God assists you with continual grace. This is what Paul's saying in the epistle God is giving you the gift to do this. It's not just your own power but it's the giving up of your power and living into God's gift that he's given you. God's even appointed and created a whole order of creation, the angels, to assist you, to pray for you, to take your prayers and your thoughts and your desires to God. It's a beautiful creation and it's meant that as God created you, for you to return back to him, in perfect love. The end is not us. The end is not so that other people agree with us or that others love us, but so that we may love God through our lives and that we all return to him with all of our minds, with all of our souls, and all of our bodies. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, amen.